Welcome to Club Core, an interdisciplinary podcast exploring science stories. I'm your host, Dr. Angel Core, an assistant professor of neuroscience at UNC Asheville. Each episode of this podcast is created by undergraduate students enrolled in one of my courses. So join us as we delve into a variety of topics with one simple goal, to get it less wrong. and welcome to the Do Drugs Kids podcast. My name is Tyson Baker, this is Colin Cranwell, and today we're going to talk about the magic of recreational drug use. No, 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 absolutely not. We're not calling our audience airheads, we're not talking about recreational drugs, and we're absolutely not calling our podcast the Do Drugs Kids podcast. But Colin, no to whatever you were just about to say. Just now. All right, so today we're going to talk about DMT and its effects, both when ingested on its own and as part of an ayahuasca ceremony. I've heard of some of ayahuasca before, some kind of folk remedy, right? But what in God's name is DMT? Okay, starting with ayahuasca, it could be called a folk remedy, I guess. Technically in the loosest sense of the word, anyways. It's a collection of plants that, when brewed together into a tea and ingested, cause you to hallucinate. The active ingredient in ayahuasca is dimethyltryptamine, which is usually shortened down to DMZ, which is a hallucinogen that can be chemically produced. And when DMT is smoked or injected, it binds itself to serotonin receptors in the brain and stimulates them to a greater extent than they are typically stimulated. This yields very powerful psychoactive effects, typically presenting themselves in the form of overwhelming visual and auditory hallucinations. So, if we figured out what makes the drug work, why are we still talking about an herbal tea? If you want to get high on DMT, a practice that our lawyer just told us we do not endorse, stop yelling, Ira, we get it. Anyways, the Do Drugs Kids podcast and all of its members in no way endorse the use of illegal drugs. We think drugs are bad and wrong and wrong and bad, and any information that seems to come from any first-hand experiences or descriptions of other first-hand experiences are actually descriptions of characters from short stories we are writing. No one should even think about doing drugs. No one. So anyway, if we have DMT, why is anyone using ayahuasca? That actually brings us to the central question of this podcast. What is the difference? We know that there is one. First-hand accounts tell us that the experience is very different, but we need to go deeper in order to understand it. DMT is a hallucinogen a psychedelic, a drug that solely exists to make you see things. Its effects vary, ranging from viewing time differently, like feeling as if it is slowing down or speeding up, seeing colors or other visuals being heavily distorted, or just outright seeing or hearing things that don't actually exist, or at least they aren't there in reality. Some researchers have gone into depth on what these visions are, and some have concluded that they may be similar to those seeing during near-death experiences, 
or NDEs for short. Wait a second. So when you're tripping on DMT, it's like being on the very edge of death. How is that supposed to even work? Or how are you supposed to be remotely safe if you were to take it? Well, it's not so much that it brings you close to death. Rather, that the visions you experience are the same as those seen during NDEs. The whole life flashing before your eyes, or some people saying they receive religious figures or other important figures in their lives when they have NDEs. You see some researchers have speculated that the brain is able to produce small amounts of DMT, and that during a crisis, the body produces more DMT, which leads to the vision seen. Oh, so you're not actually dying when you take DMT. That's good to know. Though, what about ayahuasca then? Does it have the same visions like those in NDEs? Well, seeing as how ayahuasca contains DMT, it would produce similar visions. Though, they would likely differ, seeing as how the brew can contain many other ingredients, depending on the group making it. It may inhibit the visions from being the exact same as those in DMT. After all, ayahuasca is an ethnogen used to heighten religious experiences. Slow down, dude. I have some questions. First, what's an entheogen? An entheogen is a substance that is used to heighten a religious or spiritual experience. It allows the participants to enter an altered state of mind. They are generally naturally occurring plants or combinations of plants. So it's like getting high for Jesus. You're on the most base level, not technically incorrect, and I hate it. Anyways, as I was saying, ayahuasca is often used to heighten religious experiences in many different types of rituals or ceremonies, usually in the South American continent and in countries such as Brazil or Peru. There are also some churches in the United States that use it in such a manner and get around the legality issue by using it in a religious manner. That grants them First Amendment protections. I forgot to mention that small detail. DMT and, by extension, ayahuasca are both considered Schedule One substances in the United States. They're both considered highly illegal. However, it is not considered illegal to be in possession of a plant capable of producing DMT. There's also the fact that you can get ayahuasca brew for scientific research purposes. However, we once again don't endorse the use of drugs in any way, especially if you were to try and use these loopholes to your own advantage. They simply exist. Right. If you were to use these loopholes, it would have to be for the purposes that they exist, Ira. So, only for professional research purposes. All right. So, back to the use cases. Unlike ayahuasca, which is used in ceremonies and rituals, DMT is used mostly recreational heat here in the West. There isn't any kind of ceremony or anything for it, just simply taking it. You know, you keep mentioning these different ceremonies and rituals that people go through when they take ayahuasca. What's up with those? How do they usually go? Well, the first thing that you would need to know about these rituals is the purpose behind them. There always has to be a reason for you to want to undergo the psychedelic experience of ayahuasca, and not just to take it for the sake of tripping. Usually, it's to help with healing the mind of trauma or insecurities, or to become closer to God. So what? Is there someone there to stop you from taking the brew just to trip? Do folks usually do the ayahuasca ceremonies alone? 
Is that even safe? Well, these rituals are usually facilitated by a shaman or a guiding figure. They prepare you and make sure you're ready to take the brew, as well as making sure your intentions for the ritual are purposeful, rather than just being for fun. After all, the effects of the brew end up lasting a few hours at their peak, so you would certainly need someone to guide you during it. On top of that, the healing and communion process needs to be properly facilitated. So usually there's also some helpers with the shaman to assist each individual person as they relay what they're seeing, and they try to help them through the experience to begin that healing process. Sounds like a pretty sweet deal overall, though. I mean, you get to take some drugs, and you can help heal some of your past traumas just like that, or even get closer to your religion. If only it were that simple. The ceremonies usually take place over a couple of days, starting with meditation on why you want to take the brew, then the night of the ceremony itself where you ingest the ayahuasca brew. Then after that, the healing process can start, but it could take days or weeks or even longer, depending on the person. Everyone deals with trauma differently, and the same goes for the healing of that trauma. I think I get it now. DMT is just, it's just a chemical hallucinogen, while ayahuasca is a key piece of religious ritual and can't be used outside of that. What about what actually goes into making DMT and ayahuasca? And what about the strength of DMT compared to ayahuasca? Well, DMT is typically synthesized, but it can be found naturally in plants such as Phalaris, Akasha, and Mimosa, along with quite a few others. As for ayahuasca, as I mentioned before, it's a brew. The brew varies to some extent with some using more or different plants. However, the important ones included are B. copy and P. veritas, the latter being the leaf containing DMT. The B. copy contains monoamine oxidase inhibitors, and this causes you to feel sick, but it stops the stomach from breaking down the DMT that's ingested through the brew. Wait, so if those inhibitors keep your stomach from breaking down the DMT, that means it'll be absorbed through your stomach, right? Is that why the ayahuasca lasts a lot longer than just the, taking DMT regularly? Yeah, you're exactly right. And like I mentioned before, there's a lot of different ingredients put into different ayahuasca brews, as they've been made over the past couple of decades. You know, it seems like there's a lot more to the history of ayahuasca than there is DMT itself. I mean, what's the history of the two substances? Well, the brewing rituals for ayahuasca ceremonies have been documented for centuries by South American shamans, whereas the Western's interpretation of DMT is comparatively pretty recent. It was first synthesized in a lab by the chemist Richard Mansky in 1931, then discovered to naturally occur in certain plants in 1946. But it wasn't assessed for any effects until 1956 when the Hungarian chemist Stephen Zarza synthesized it from the Mimosa hostilis plant, and then he proceeded to test it on himself. Wow. I didn't think scientists would be willing to test it on themselves just like that. I mean, I guess once the effects and all that were discovered, it was probably made illegal, right? Well, it wasn't made illegal for a while after that. It got used a fair bit in the 60s during the whole hippie era, like a lot of other drugs at the time. And it wasn't until 1971 that it was deemed illegal here in the United States. It ended up becoming a class one narcotic, making it illegal to bring any amount of raw DMT into the United States. So what about ayahuasca then? 
I'd assume since it has DMT in it, it ends up under the same legality issues as DMT, unless the religious loophole you mentioned earlier could be useful. Yep. The 1993 Religious Freedom Restoration Act helps ayahuasca be used in religious ceremonies for certain churches established in the United States. The most noteworthy churches established being the Unión Dovichital and Santo Daime. These churches use the Religious Freedom Restoration Act as a means to be able to hold the ayahuasca ceremonies in a legal fashion in several U.S. states. So DMT is a very legal drug, and it doesn't seem to have any benefit other than making your trip. And ayahuasca contains DMT that has been used by various religious groups for thousands of years to enhance religious experiences. And it's sort of kind of maybe legal in the U.S.? Exactly. And while they have the same active ingredient being DMT itself, they have very different effects. Because any buffoon can do DMT in their parents' basement, but ayahuasca consumption is inherently spiritual experience. You can't get it if it's not. Yep. And you have to remember, ayahuasca is more than just a spiritual brew. The many different ingredients that can go into it can alter the experience. And because of the base ingredients used, the effects last for hours, which can be dangerous without the guidance provided by the shamans. Of course. You know, I think I can really see the amount of differences between them two now. Thank you for all the explanations, Colin. No problem. But next time you're doing the podcast. Uh, I guess I gotta do some research. Club Court is produced by a multidisciplinary team of students at UNC Asheville with sound engineering support by undergraduate Kat Sawyer. Jessica Fox, a UNCA graduate, wrote our theme music. Special thanks to the UNCA Video Production and Media Design Lab for their help with this project, and thank you for listening. You can find show notes, including episode credits and links to the research discussed in this episode at clubcore.com episodes. If you like this episode, please share, subscribe, and review. And if you have a question you'd like us to explore, drop us a line. You can find me, Angel Core, on all the socials at Club Core. We'd love to tell your science stories so we can all get it less wrong. Until next time.